Hello and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Our goal of the show is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. I really do want to create a world where racial equity is the norm, and you can help me do that by tuning into the show every week and doing your part to dismantle racism in the world. If we all do our part, I believe it really is possible to heal racial separation. Today, I want to invite us in to talk about how do we heal racial trauma that's happened to us in the past, no matter if that past was yesterday. How do we begin to do that? What are the steps that we should take? But as always, I want to invite us into this place of centering ourselves and finding our breath because I think it is important for us to connect with that which gives us life, that which helps us to focus and to be mindful that we are here in this earthly realm because we all serve a purpose. And that the skin that we're in just happens to be the skin that we're in. Underneath it all, we are soul being, we're energy, we're spirit. We're just housed in these particular bodies. And so let's not get, get it confused with who we are and the purpose for which we are called at this time and place. So if you would take a moment, if you can, to just connect with the ground or the floor beneath you, connect with the chair that you're sitting in, connect with the outdoors if you're there and you're able to view, to view the beauty of the earth, the sun, hear the birds chippering, the wind blowing, or even if it's rainfall, take a moment to center yourself and to find your breath breathing in and out. And with each exhale and inhale, connecting with the breath of life, connecting with your divine wisdom and your sacred intelligence, connecting with that part of you that wants the good, not only for you, but for everyone, connecting with that part of you that honors who you are and doesn't allow you to treat anyone else with disrespect and doesn't allow you to accept disrespect. Breathe in and out the knowledge that you are a part of a greater source of energy called love. And that means that you are loved and you are loved. You are created and came into being by something divine So breathe in the power of that divineness. Allowing it to resonate with you that you have the power to change the status quo. That you are more than who other people define you to be. You are more than the limitations that you have put on yourself. You are limitless because you have a source within that you can tap into that helps you to generate solutions to all of your individual problems and all the problems that we share together. Breathe in and out knowing that in addition to being connected to this divine wisdom, you are connected with others because we coexist together and we are a part of a greater shared humanity. You do not walk this journey alone. So breathe in and out the knowledge that you are held and you are supported by divine wisdom, the sacred, the universe, source, earth, and your fellow kindred. Breathe in 
and out. Recognizing that the power of one contributes to the power of community. Breathe in and out, knowing that you have everything within you, everything you need to dismantle racism and to change the status quo. Breathe in, sigh it out, and let's begin. The other day I was looking on social media and I saw a post and the post was about a young black woman who had been accepted to all of the Ivy Leagues. And in and of itself, that's a big deal because to be accepted into college is fascinating, it's great, it's a great achievement. And I know that she had to accomplish a lot to get accepted into college, period, and then to be accepted into the Ivy Leagues was another feat. But I actually was troubled by it. Not for her, because I'm happy for her. But I was troubled by it for this reason, is that we don't value, value historically Black colleges and universities in the same way. Unless you have attended an HBCU, it is rare that I see people posting, my daughter got accepted to most of the HBCUs because some of them are specifically for those who identify as male. It's rare that I see people doing that. And what I also run into are those individuals who think that HBCUs are not good enough, so they don't even want to apply to those. And that disturbs me greatly. Because what that is, if you are a person of color and you think that HBCUs are not good enough for you to go to, that's called internalized racism. You are perpetuating a racist system that says white is superior and that white is supreme. And if you are a non-Black person and you feel the same way, it's not internalized racism, but it's racism nevertheless, because you're saying that only white colleges are superior. And I beg to differ. But I wanna share something with you because for a lot of you, you don't even know what an HBCU is. Some of you, this may be your first time hearing about it. I know I've talked to many people over the last couple of years who will say, well, what's an HBCU? That's a problem in and of itself that folks don't even know that there are colleges for people of color. An HBCU in particular, I want you to understand why it came into being. It came into being because we were denied access into white colleges not because we were not educated enough to get into those places, but we were denied access because Black people could not go to college, could not connect with in the same areas as white people, were not allowed to sit in the same classrooms, or they thought that we were dumb or stupid, or perhaps like they thought in North Carolina, because it's actually... Uh, one of their laws, in 1830, they feared that the teaching of slaves, and I would say enslaved people today, the teaching of slaves to read and write has a tendency to excite dissatisfaction in their minds and to produce insurrection and rebellion. That's why they didn't want us to go to school. But thankfully, there were individuals who founded schools on our behalf. And so shortly after the Emancipation Proclamation, several schools were formed to educate us. So they were put into place because we were denied what we should have had a right to. And it's really a slap in the face today to think that those schools are unworthy 
to attend. I beg to differ. I attended what some, including myself, believe to be the number one HBCU, and that's Howard University. It was founded in 1867, shortly after the Emancipation Proclamation, just a few years after that. And it established a law school, the first Black law school in 1872. That's huge. And here's the thing. Here are some of the notable people who've gone to Howard University. Maybe you recognize a few of these names. Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, the Honorable David Dinkins, Representative Elijah Cummins, Diplomat Andy Young, Attorney and Advisor to President Clinton, Vernon Jordan, Stokely Carmichael, Diane Nash, Jesse Norman, Ossie Davis, Roberta Flack, Zora Neale Hurston, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Toni Morrison, and then, of course, they're the entertainers that you know, like P. Diddy, Taraji P. Henson, Felicia Rashad, Debbie Allen. And of course, we would not forget the Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, and the vice president of these United States of America, Kamala Harris. And of course, the one and only, the Reverend Dr. TLC. All of us are bright, brilliant people who went to an HBCU, Howard University, the Mecca. And there's something that we gained at those universities that we won't gain by going to a PWI, predominantly white university. And that is, I stand on the strength of my ancestors and it is fully fully indoctrinated in me of who I am as a person of color. And I know from those I've talked to and teaching at a PWI, the students of color don't get that connectedness. They don't get to have this assurance of who they are. As a matter of fact, their race is always front and center. And when you go to an HBCU, that is not the case because it takes race almost completely off the table. Doesn't mean that we don't have some things that we deal with, but here's the thing that I want you to know. Getting into an HBCU is just as competitive as going to a PWI. I know for a fact, both of my girls go to HBCUs. And I know for one of them in particular, the school that she goes to, the year that she applied, there were over 9,000 students who applied, but they only let in roughly about 600 students. So you tell me if that school is not competitive. And the other one, while I don't have the stats on her year, I know that it's just as competitive. So I want you to think about it. When you, when you say that my child can't go to an HBCU or it's better, that they go to a white school. I want you to think about the value of that education. At least you think that I'm saying it because I don't have experience with one of the Ivies. I went to Yale University for my graduate degree. And I will tell you that the education that I got at Howard University compares and maybe exceeds the education that I got at Yale University. Had I not gone to Howard first, to build me up, to allow me to know the strength of who I am and where I come from, my experience at Yale might have been totally different. But I also know the difference between the instructors that I had at Howard who expected the most from me, who were not going to let me get away with being mediocre, who were going to see me in the classroom and not ignore me, who were going to call on me because they wanted to bring out the best in me. That's what gave me my foundation to go to every school that I've gone to since Howard University and Yale being one of them. So I know what students of color experience when they go 
to predominantly white schools. And I'm grateful that I didn't have to experience that because I could focus solely on becoming the best of who, of who I am. So I wanna encourage you to look at the ways in which you perpetuate whiteness in which you perpetuate a racist society by thinking that white is always better. And valuing those institutions, valuing the standards that come from other cultures and not just white. Racism, internalized or otherwise, is very subtle. And every day we perpetuate it. And it's up to us to decide to do our part to dismantle racism. Our show today, we're going to be talking about healing racial trauma. We have to take a quick break. And when we return, I want to welcome back my guest from a few weeks ago, Charles Robinson. We'll be right back. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. the Dismantle Racism show. And today we're talking about healing racial trauma. We know that prejudice has birthed traumatic events and unjust experiences that they have their toll on us. And they're longstanding emotional and psychological scars as a result of it. And today we're bringing back to our show, uh, Charles Robinson, who was with us before he told us an about an event that actually happened at his school as a black student, I believe, in the 60s. And so today he's going to come back and share that story with us again, but talk to us about some things that have occurred since that time. But Charles Robinson, just to tell you a little bit about him, has extensive training and experience in labor employment law. And um, he actually is a former administrative law judge, a special master for the courts. He has done a great deal of work uh, with um, continuing education, as a matter of fact. And he is a facilitator and a program leader for Landmark Worldwide. He's done much, much more, and he's in the process of developing a six-week course, which I hope he will tell us about. Uh, on the show as well. But I want to welcome back to the show, Charles Robinson. Charles, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me again. I, 
I really enjoyed our conversation a, a few weeks ago, um, talking about this subject and not just talking, but doing whatever I can do. Like you said, everybody can do something. That's the famous line from one of my, my uh, closest friends, Joe Madison, who's a talk show host. And that's his slogan. Everybody can do something. Mm. I, I just uh, really enjoy uh, what you're doing. I really uh, respect and acknowledge you dealing with this subject uh, relentlessly. Mm. And, you know, I trust that. And, and I actually know that we're going to have a breakthrough mm. uh, with, with race. And so there's just so much to say about it, you know. My you first know, term paper I wrote in college was on uh, racial prejudice. Mm. Had a white. I went to. I didn't go to HBCU. Um, I had an opportunity. My Boy Scout master, who had played football at Tennessee State, uh, created an opening, an opportunity for me to go there and get a scholarship to play football there. And I thought, I'm not gonna. I don't want to go to a black college because the black uh, high school across the city, you know on the other side of the city was the worst high school in the state. Mm. And I, I just assumed that a black college would, would be inferior as well. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. but my and, 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 and that's how subtle racism is though, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Is because we turn on our own and against ourselves, not recognizing the schools were started because we were denied. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, it has some of the most prestigious, if you will, professors there. I mean, because we had to earn every single thing as students. No one was giving us anything because expectations were high. But the professors who come there to teach, they've also had this amazing training. And so I get it. I, I understand. I've had those conversations with people, which is why every chance I get, I talk to people about going to an HBCU because I know that's the thought. My kids knew when they were little, you're going to an HBCU. It was a given. You're going to an HBCU. And I was married to someone who didn't go to an HBCU. As a matter of fact, we had the conversation even after my oldest. It was like, I don't understand why they couldn't have just gone to a state school. It might have been cheaper. It was this, this, and that. And I said, this is what you need to understand. There's something that they get at an HBCU that they will never be able to get at a PWI, and it will set them up for the rest of their life and their career because they will know who they are. And you can't put a price tag on that. Plus, I knew the education would be outstanding as well. So I had a I, taste of that. I had a taste of that in my junior high school where the Milwaukee Public Schools went south to recruit black teachers mm -hmm. from HB, HBCUs. And those, they were the most beautiful women. I mean, <laughs> one reason why we wanted to go to school just to see these beautiful uh, young black teachers. And, mm -hmm. and, but they were, they were excellent at, mm -hmm. at what they taught too. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, for the first time I had a four point average. Mm, and wow. I had a teacher, Mr. Cousins, he made the Revolutionary War mm. come to life in the classroom. Yes. Like, you know, and he took us to the, the Central Library downtown and we did research. Um, we had a debate uh, team mm. and we had a chance to do research. We were like, what, seventh, eighth graders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was the first time we actually got outside of the classroom to go, you know, out and do research. Hmm. Yeah, so you know what, it, Charles, you, you actually said two things that to me are important. And one, you know, when you said the beautiful women, I don't actually take that lightly. And this is why I don't. Because when you go to an HBCU, you get to see mm -hmm. an array of beauty and, it, and you can identify with it and say, yeah. this is our standard of beauty. We don't have to have that other standard of beauty. And, and really and truly, you get to see just seeing people who look like you, who are also aspiring and doing wonderful things. Because see, if we're not careful, we will believe the lies that we're told about Black people, that we're thugs, that we're robbers, that we we're, we are incarcerated, like all of these things. And, and there's also a myth even about 
the black and brown folks who are incarcerated because mm-hmm. many of them are highly educated, maybe not formally, mm-hmm. but when you listen to them, can run circles around many of us. And so I don't take it lightly when you say you went there and you saw this. But the other thing that that's valuable about going to a historically Black college is that you get the counter story, the counter story of history, which is a component of critical race theory. Mm -hmm. You see, people have, again, I say this a lot on this show because people understand, misunderstand what critical race theory is about. But one of the tenets is so that you get the counter story and that you don't have to believe the hype that's out there. You don't have to believe the stories that tell you that more Black people are incarcerated because we're criminals. No, you understand that the law is different Mm -hmm. for Black people. But I don't want to digress on that too much because I do want to get to uh, something happened to you when you attended your predominantly white university that was related to race. So I would love for you to share that story with us. And then I'd love you to talk about what has happened since that time. We might have to take a quick break uh, in between you telling those, but tell us again what happened to you uh, when you were in school. Well, first of all, we didn't, I didn't get a lot of good counseling for, you know, to prepare me to choose a college. I had pretty good grades and I remember my coach uh, said, well, Charlie, you can go anywhere you want to. And I had been heavily recruited by Dartmouth. I have no idea, you know, uh, where Doc Month was or anything about the Ivy League schools. I um, And I wanted to stay close to home. So I went to, uh, it was Wisconsin State University at Whitewater. Whitewater is a small uh, town, about 10,000 population. And the college is also about 10,000. And uh, they were heavily recruiting black students uh, because I guess they were getting federal aid, you know, during during the 60s and uh, so I ended up going there it was about an hour 15 minutes from home uh, and when I got there you know first of all I had the, the black quarterback controversy you know because we're not supposed to be the the thinkers and the leaders and the passers because right. the, the rap was we couldn't you know think well enough to call the plays because they didn't have offensive coordinators back in those days but um you know, I was pretty well prepared to to play anywhere, really. But, you know, and then we had um, a lot of alienation. Um, we didn't have like in the in the in the student union, there were there were two two um, in the juice box. There were two songs. One was In Between the Heart Heartaches by Dion. Um, Warwick. Dionne Warwick and Respect by Aretha Franklin. Mm. You know, and then we would we would play those two over and over again. But so there were, you know, there was nothing culturally um, or socially that um, attracted us. And then, of course, there was the alienation because we were in a, a lily white environment. Many of the people in that area have never seen Black people before. And, um, and then so you have just covert and overt racism in the classroom, on the campus, in the town. In fact, um, there's a closed housing ordinance uh, in Whitewater, which says that um, you, you know it was, it was against the law to rent to people of color. Mm. So we, my sophomore year, we actually marched on the town and uh, it was in the 60s. So the civil rights movement was going on there as well. And so here we are teenagers, right? And we're changing legislation. So yeah. they actually they, they actually changed the law. Um, but uh, my first two years there, it was, you know, you couldn't get, like if you were married, mm-hmm. graduate student, you'd mm-hmm. have to commute because you couldn't, you couldn't uh, rent an apartment in town. Mm. That's the you kind know. of situation we were dealing with. So, Charles, I, I actually am glad that you're setting that up to help people to understand what you were walking into, even as a student going to school there. This was what was happening in your surrounding area. And I think it's important for people to understand that these things still happen today. 
They may be more subtle, but there are things that we in our community, we know and recognize that's happening to us, that there are barriers that exist for us that other people don't know about. They're, they have a different name today than they had back then, but they're there. Mm-hmm. So we're dealing with that on top of going to school. But Charles, we have to take a quick break. Okay. But when we do come back, I want you to specifically tell us about the incident that happened um, that actually led you to getting arrested and having to leave school. So we're going to be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back with the Dismantle Racism Show. My guest today is Charles Robinson. Charles, last time you were on the show, you told us about an incident that happened to you on your campus. Would you recap that incident for us, please? Um, You are muted, Charles. I have to watch that. (laughs) Yeah, um, the night of December 16th, 1969. I was sitting in a in a class, it was an evening class that met from 6.30 to nine o'clock. It was a graduate level course that I had special permission to take. I was a psych major and I was taking this course called interview and counseling techniques. And I was just so thrilled that, you know, I was being allowed to take this, this graduate level course um, at the gym th- that same night, there was an intramural basketball game between a black freshman group and another group. And after the game, there was a fight. And um, two of the people involved were black females. And so there was a meeting at the Black Student Union. We went from my freshman year of having like 50 black students on campus and then um, we were allowed to go out and recruit our own um, black freshmen. So we actually doubled our numbers the next year. And um, so when that, when, and a lot of these kids, you know, they were coming from Chicago, Milwaukee, racing, you know, some of the inner, some of the inner cities and the cities surrounding the Southeastern area of, of Wisconsin. So um, they had a meeting at the Black Student Union to actually go downtown to this white fraternity's house, the Phi Chi Epsilon house, to confront the people they thought were involved in this fight, because keep in mind, two two women were involved. And so emotions were very, very high. 
I wasn't there, of course. I'm sitting in, in my class, but when I when class was let out, I noticed people were running down Main Street toward um, the Phi Chi Upsilon Fraternity House. And when I got there, they had already invaded the house. Uh, two shots were fired. And a police officer who noticed me uh, asked me to stand with him because the coach, you know, uh, the football coach wouldn't want me to be involved. That's what he said, you know, stand with me. And so the next day, I'm suspended for my safety and the safety of others. I'm banned from campus. And this was at the end of the semester. Grades were just about to be released. Mm -hmm. I had like a 3.6 on 16 credits, which is one of my better you know, semesters. And um, all of that was lost. And I was faced with um, two felonies and a misdemeanor for uh, invading this house, which I didn't do. So standing, standing with him, you still ended up getting arrested, even though yeah. you stood with him and didn't go into the house. Yeah, yeah. Ironically, we had um, a black uh, a black lawyer named Percy Julian, Percy Julian Jr. His dad was Percy Julian Sr., who was a famous um, scientist mm -hmm. who invented cortisone. Mm. Uh, and of course, you know, cortisone is in most cosmetics and medicines, yes. well, a lot of them. Yes. And, um, but Percy was, you know, he was um, a new grad, new law, law graduate, and he had just started his practice. And he took on representing all 16 people mm. charged. Mm -hmm. And we, and we were being prosecuted by the attorney general's office. You know, which, what normally would have been a student handbook matter. Yes. Ended up, um, you know, being you know, were prosecuted by the state attorney general, mm. which was similar to almost exactly one year previously at Wisconsin State University Oshkosh, where they had uh, approximately 95 black students. And they sat in on the administration building. They were protesting like we were protesting, like protests across the, the country, right. for relevant courses and things like that. And um, almost every one, every last one of those black students were expelled from school. So, so I want to just pause us for a minute because I think people need to understand the history of what is what happens here or happened. That any time we've chosen to stand up for ourselves, there have been severe consequences. But I also don't want us to miss out that's a part of standing up and being courageous to dismantle racism is that there are some sacrifices that come with it. It doesn't matter what your color is. You have to decide what sacrifices am I willing to make? And those sacrifices are not just for you. They're also for the people who come along after you. And thirdly, I want to say this. You're still standing despite what happened to you. Because I think that sometimes people live in this place of fear that if I stand up and something happens to me, then my life is going to go south, so to speak, even though I really shouldn't use that phrase because to say going to south means that it's something bad. <laughs> I'm from the south and I don't believe that, you know, at you all. You know what Malcolm but, said about south, as long as you're south of the Canadian border, you're south. <laughs> Right. So, so here's the thing though. So you're still standing. So you ended up being expelled from school, had a felony charge, but those things were dropped. Yes. We, you know, my fraternity, um, we founded a chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha, uh, my freshman year and the alumni chapter kicked in to help pay the, um, you know, the people who were injured, we paid them for their medical bills and also for the furniture and things that got broke in their fraternity house. Uh -huh. So we executed a gentleman's agreement. Uh -huh. And so the charges were were um, were dropped. However, you know, I'm, I'm still missing a whole academic year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because we were summarily dismissed without any due process, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. Now, you know, uh, Percy Julian uh, is, is, has passed away, but now that I'm writing my memoir about that, I'm looking back and, and noticing where the flaws were, 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think he should have been trying to represent 16 people by himself. That know? was probably a lot, right? <laughs> because, I mean, if, if, if the facts would have come out that I'm, because I could document that I'm sitting in class, you know, the teacher got, got the attendance sheet. And of course, I could document that I was standing next to the police officer. Mm-hmm. But for some mm-hmm. reason, you know, that information that we got, mm-hmm. you know. Got noted. Got so noted. let me let me ask you, Charles. So so since we had the conversation the last time, I know that when you attended school and you played on the football team, you had whenever you traveled a white roommate. Since our last conversation you have had some conversations with him and I believe you all hadn't talked in, I don't know if it was 40 years, but it's been a long time since you had had over 50 years, over, over 50 years. Mm -hmm. So I would love for you. And I just want to say, we did make an invitation for him to come on the show so that we could hear both sides of the conversation and to uh, hear you all talk about that healing process and perhaps continue to work out a bit of, of the healing, Uh, but he was unable to be with us today. And his hope is to come again at some time in, to come, not again, but to come in in the future uh, if a schedule allows for it on the show. Can you tell us what prompted you to reach out to him? Well, tell us your relationship with him in college and then tell us what prompted you to reach out. Yeah, Greg was, uh, he was a senior my my junior year, and uh, he was two-time All-American. He got drafted by uh, the Denver Broncos. He was a great ball player, but he was a great human being uh, as well. He was one of the people I could relate to on the team, because even on the team, they were racist. I remember on a bus once, uh, I was reading an article in uh, Muhammad Speak, and I was sharing it with um, another person. And a guy wanted to fight me on the bus. You rode away to a game, right? <laughs> and then, of course, we had a few skirmishes during practices as well, which I think, you know, because of racism. But Greg was really cool. You know, he, um, when they moved me up from the freshman team to the varsity, he took me under his wing, you know, and, you know, of course, we uh, we were friends. Um, while I was writing my memoirs about what happened back, you know, in those days, I, uh, I decided to write an open letter to the football team because we got separated mm-hmm. and, you know, we were pretty good. You know, we were ranked among the top two. Um, we actually were scheduled to play uh, Gramlin mm-hmm. for, for a non-conference game my sophomore year and Gramlin did, you know, they, they uh, for whatever reason, they, they, they changed it. But um, and where, where was my point? So I was asking you, how was it that you came to call him up and decide? Oh, yeah. Well, when I was writing the open letter, all of a sudden, I um, I was overwhelmed with emotion. Mm. And, you know, I've been reading a lot of books on, on trauma and healing. And, you know, I'm a mediator and, and, and uh, someone who's, who's interested in... Um, and, and healing from trauma, mm-hmm. noticing that we all have trauma, you know, it's handed down epigenetically. And then I caught myself being triggered. And then I was overwhelmed with the emotion. And I said, well, wow, what's going on here? So I decided that, well, maybe I need to call Greg Jones. And so I looked and found, found his, uh, his email address. And I emailed him and asked him to, uh, Get, get in touch with me, you know, give me his phone number. And so he sent an email back saying that um, he really wanted to have a conversation about mm. 1969. Mm. And then he sent me uh, the next morning um, an email saying that he could hardly sleep that night mm. because he was um, re-experiencing the, the melee that happened mm. at his presence. So- So, Charles, I want to, we have to take another quick break. And when we return, I want you to talk a little bit about what that meeting was like. And 
what people need to understand is that racism impacts us all. And so he couldn't sleep thinking about the incident. And then the experience that you had, we all have scars from racism. So we're going to be right back. So Charles can tell us about the conversation that he had with Greg. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back with my guest Charles Robinson. Charles, before the break, you were telling us about having a conversation with Greg. Um, tell us a little bit about how that conversation went and what has that done for you to be able to have a conversation with someone so close to you at the time of the incident that you had lost contact with? Yes, well, I think writing the um the memoir and the open letter specifically to the football team had me um, be triggered. And, and then I thought, well, maybe if I had a conversation with, um, with Greg Jones, we could talk about what happened. What I realized um, when he emailed me back and he said that he could hardly sleep and he said that he was also an innocent bystander during, yeah. the, during the melee, then I got in touch with how um, I had been like just looking at the impact on me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really, hadn't been really considering the impact on the people who were in that frat house, uh, including Greg Jones. And, um, and so we met uh, two days after, after uh, we, we got back in touch with each, with each other in Cedarburg, Wisconsin, where he lives now. And uh, we met at a really nice uh, restaurant outside. It was a beautiful day. Uh, neither one of us wanted to order anything because we knew that we would be talking all of the time. So we ended up talking for three hours. Mm. And we got doggy bags to go <laughs> for the food we ordered. <laughs> but, um, you know, he was able to give me some insight into his experience and some of the things that happened that I didn't even know, like um, the people who were fighting were not his fraternity, number one. Mm. It was an independent team. And someone there in the gym had a Phi Chi Epsilon t-shirt on. And so there was an assumption that, that these white guys were members of the Phi Chi Epsilon fraternity. Mm-hmm. And so all of that anger and that invasion in their house was, it was misdirected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that 
this incident changed your relationship with him back then? Well, I don't think it did. And in fact, that was one of my questions. I was wondering, you know, what do they think about me after all of the things that showed up in the newspaper? And, you know, people assume that, you know, if if I was found guilty, I must have been guilty, right? Mm -hmm. And I never had a chance to uh, clear my name. In fact, this was something that I hardly ever talked about. So I want to thank you for <laughs> having this, this forum for me because it, it is a healing process and writing the memoir also, I think was therapeutic. Mm -hmm. So what understanding did you and Greg come to after all of this time? Because you've not talked in 50 years, you had this incident to occur. And I don't know that the incident was the last time that you all talked, was it? Was that the last time that you ever? Well, we. Or after he left Denver, he ended up playing in the Central States Football League for um, the Delavan uh, Red Devils or whatever. And I was playing for the West Dallas Spartans, which is a, a team, a local team in Wisconsin in the Central States Football League. So we ended up playing against each other a couple of times. And after the games, you know, we would uh, come up and shake hands and stuff like that. But we never really had a chance to have any real dialogue about Mm -hmm. and events of 1969 and of course I was I was um, um, avoiding returning to Whitewater because of the you know it was a pretty bad experience for me I did go back when they they built a brand new stadium I went for the stadium dedication game and also um, they were honoring um, the undefeated teams and um, after 50 years it was like a 50-year reunion Hmm. And I and I went um, to that event as well. So, so Charles, what would you say was the feeling that you had going into the conversation, and then what was the feeling that you had coming out of the conversation? Well, the feeling going in, I um, I was unsure of. Well, he 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 did send me an email message saying that he had just been talking to someone about me, about how much. He respected me as uh, as a ball player and also as a human being, mm. and, and and he shared that in email. So, I I knew that he still had respect for me, and um, I going into the conversation, I didn't have any any real expectations except to um, find his impact. Mm. I was curious about the impact that the experience might have been on him as well. Hmm. Because before I was pretty much centered on me because it, you know, it was it had a pretty big impact on me. I still managed, managed to graduate in four and a half years. I couldn't hmm. go to any public school in the state, but I ended up um, going to Marquette for a semester. And then I returned to Whitewater after sitting out for a year and graduated out of summer school. Hmm. So I was determined to graduate. Right, and you did. And My you great did. grandmother used to send me two dollars in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the thing that I think is important for our listeners to take away from this: is that a part of your healing, from what it sounds like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but mm -hmm. a part of your healing was being able to take the perspective of the other person, because you 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 just said I was thinking about what it must have felt like for him. Yeah, after he responded with this email message saying that he could hardly sleep, that was a clue right there. Hmm. And then when he said he was an innocent uh, uh, bystander like me, like I was as well. Hmm. And so I could see that we were um, almost similarly situated. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And do you plan to keep in touch with one another now? Yeah, um, his wife wants to meet me and um, in fact, we have scheduled um, uh, to meet again on the 29th mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, with, the, with his family. Well, I'm wishing you well as you continue to uh, reconcile and rekindle this relationship that you have uh, with him. I want to thank you so much for sharing on our show again. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes left of the show. 
what can you tell us about, I know you're developing a six week program. Is your program around uh, reconciliation or any of the things that we've talked about? Yeah, originally, you know, I was working on um, like a co-parenting uh, program to help people who are struggling in co-parenting to mm -hmm. resolve the issues. What, I'm fight, what we're finding out is it's because of the breakdown in relationships that the children don't get the parenting that they need, mm -hmm. whether you have a traditional or non-traditional family structure. So I, I wanted to make a difference or have an impact in co-parenting. And then after I developed um, the training, I realized that this, I could actually create something for the community as well. Right. Because right. we have a lot of um, people who uh, have experienced trauma. Well, we're born with trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And so I began to investigate the healing process. So mm -hmm. I learned a lot about mindfulness over the last year. Uh, read a lot of books and I'm in a mindful practice myself. Yeah. And so this, this course is going to include that, a mindful approach to conflict resolution and collaboration. Well, I think that what you have done, even in your conversations with him, you, you began with the mindfulness as well, right? It's not something that you had to say, but just being able to take his perspective was about really being in tune with the thoughts, the feelings, and emotions that were going on, for, not just for you, but for him, being present in the moment. So um, people can learn a little bit more about your program by connecting with you. We'll have Charles's information up on our website at Talk Radio NYC, or you can go to sacredintelligence.com as well and catch the episode of this show. If for some reason you missed uh, parts of it, I want to thank you so much today, Charles, for joining us. I want to thank you to the listeners for joining us as well. Stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where Sam helps you walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. May today you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that manifest your good and the good of those around you. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? 
I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 